I deserve this. I deserve this. I think that's what he said. You can read it written all over his face. I deserve this. It's popping through each pore. It's carved across each crease and furrow. I deserve this. It's screen printed on the fabric of his high price, ridiculous clothes. It's stamped onto the soles of his cost-of-fortune footwear. I deserve this. Each letter, I-D-E-S-E-R-V-E-T-H-I-S, is engraved into his eyes. The lids close and open, and yet it's still there. I deserve this. It's etched into the enamel of each tooth. His lips part and his smile says it all. I deserve this. Maybe he does. Maybe he does. His pockets jingle to it. His bags weigh heavy with it. His camels struggle under the burden of it. I deserve this. But you know what? Maybe he does. Maybe he does deserve this. Because day in and day out, he's always out there under the scorching hot sun. His only reprieve, the sporadic gusts blowing in from the Sea of Galilee. Maybe he does deserve this. All day long he's stuck to the seat, he's bolted to the booth, he's kept at the kiosk where every moment he manages the movement of produce and goods. He ensures the exploitation of exports and imports fees, sales and custom taxes. What's a little skimming off the top? Never hurt nobody, right? What's a little skimming off the top? What's a little white-collar crime? A few white lies never hurt nobody, right? He deserves this. But the folks in town, they might disagree because they view him as a traitor to his own people, a shady, unpatriotic, morally corrupt, ritually unclean outsider. Well, that's not what Jesus sees. But that's what I'd see, you know. If you and I were to put together a a crew to change the world, this is the absolute last guy that we're picking. But Jesus picks him top 12. And when we take a look at the other riffraff that Jesus kept close, we realize we can't help but see, man, Jesus, you sure know how to pick him. A tax collector, a thief slash betrayer, a political religious extremist, a a denier, a doubter, and a bunch of hot-tempered fishermen who probably failed at everything else. 
Now, I could see how they might make the crew to change the world if this were 2019, where everyone makes a team and everyone gets a medal. But for some reason, and I don't think it's random, Jesus picks the 12 he picks. It's got to be 12, you know? got to be 12. An Old Testament shout out to the OG 12 tribes of Israel. You know, those 12 rather dysfunctional sons of Jacob whose descendants make up the nation of Israel. Jesus picks the 12 he picks. And sure, one will doubt him. One will deny him. One will betray him. And all will fall away and abandon him. But in the end, they followed Jesus, or at least most of them did, trying their best. They saw his glory face to face. They experienced his power manifested before him. And they were changed and changed the world because of it. Welcome to our summer sermon series called The Twelve. Over the course of this sermon series, we're going to look at each of the 12, their imperfection and their passion, their perseverance and grit, their generosity and faith, and we're going to see what it all means for our lives. So if you're able to stand today, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to read from our memory verse for this new sermon series, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. But we're also going to read verses 2, 3, and 4 to introduce us to the 12. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas, Matthew, also known as Levi, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. And today, we begin with Levi. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we come to you today, that our hearts would be ready to receive, that our minds would be ready to focus I pray for the distractions just going on in our lives. So many things that pull our eyes and ears and attention away from you. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, they just subside today. And I pray, Lord, that you would reach into the struggle and into the difficulty today. And that, God, you provide your healing and comfort and transformation in our lives today. That's what we came here to do. To give you honor and praise and glorify you. And to love the people around us. I ask that you just speak to us boldly today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I figure that the uh, owner of the house was a bit underwhelmed with all the redecorating going on overhead. He must have felt like, I don't deserve this. 
one moment, everything's going fine. Everyone's having a, a good time. It's a packed house. The party is bumping. The cops are probably on their way to shut it all down with a noise complaint. But Jesus is there, and he's dropping some theological truth. He's bringing light to the darkness, hope to the hopeless. He's bringing peace to the restless. When all of a sudden, he, he looks up. Bits of dust and straw fibers falling from the ceiling. And there's the faint sound of scratching and clawing like a, a cat going at a brand new cotton couch. The scratching and clawing, it intensifies, growing louder and louder. And the next moment, there's clumps of hardened mud and clay raining down on the party below. And then sunlight pours into the room as a section of the roof gets unroofed. I figure the owner of the house must have felt a little underwhelmed at all the redecorating going on above him. He must have felt like, I don't deserve this. Then when four men lowered their paralyzed friend through the unroofed roof, and when this paralyzed man stood up and walked out of the house under his own strength, I figured the owner of the house could hardly go through the roof especially with everyone praising God and celebrating, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. And then just like that, Mark 2, 13 says, Jesus went out beside the lake again. The whole crowd came to him and he began to teach them, sorry about the roof, man, we'll take the party outside. And here beside the Sea of Galilee, here we are on the northwestern shore in a city named Capernaum. It's a major trade and economic center in the region of northern Galilee. And it's here between the water's edge and the gently rolling hills swaying with palms that Jesus calls one of the twelve. Verse 14a says, As he continued along, he saw Levi, Alphaeus' son, sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. Let me ask you this. If you're sitting in a, uh, a semi-truck, you're probably a... Wow, you sound excited about that. Wow, I'm a truck driver. Should we do that again? Let's try a different one. If you're sitting in a space shuttle, you're probably a... Wow, that's not, you guys like astronauts. You don't like truck drivers like astronauts. How about this? If you're sitting in a police car, you're probably a... Oh. Yeah, welcome to Journey. People are like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're me or me last night or last week. Uh, well, welcome to Journey. If you're sitting in a kiosk for collecting taxes, you're probably a tax collector. Well, Levi's a tax collector sitting in a tax booth, sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. This kiosk for collecting taxes is located at a port or at the edge of a city or a town to collect taxes 
for trade, including export and import fees, sales and custom taxes, and various other tolls. But this particular kiosk for collecting taxes is in Capernaum is located on a, a major trade route that goes from Damascus in the north to Galilee and from Galilee to the Mediterranean Sea. And it's here at this kiosk for collecting taxes that Levi, the tax collector, collects. He collects taxes for Rome, the foreign occupying military force. So Levi ain't your first century form of TurboTax. This is not the nice guy who helps you with your taxes. This is the guy who works for the Romans. This is the guy who skims off the top because he can, because he feels he deserves this. This is the guy who overcharges you, and when you can't pay, he sends his big thug Bruno to come and break your kneecaps. And for such reason, Levi is a leech, a blood-sucking parasite. He's hated and despised by his fellow Jews. He's excommunicated from the synagogue. His family would have been disgraced because Levi is a traitor to his own people. He's shady, unpatriotic, morally corrupt, ritually unclean. He's an outsider. But it's here at this kiosk for collecting taxes where Jesus sees Levi, the leech the blood-sucking parasite, the hated, despised, excommunicated, family-disgraced, traitor to his own people, shady, unpatriotic, morally corrupt, ritually unclean, outsider. But I wonder how Jesus might see him. I wonder how we might see him. Verse 14, it talked about how he continued along and Jesus saw Levi. But verse 14b says, Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi got up and followed him. But whoa, wait a second, Jesus, really? This guy, out of all the people you could have picked, you pick a tax collector. Everybody hates that guy. Come on, he doesn't deserve this. The dude's a leech, a blood-sucking parasite. He's a traitor to his own people, a shady, unpatriotic, morally, morally corrupt, ritually impure. He's an outsider, but Jesus takes the outsider and makes him an insider. He says, follow me, and Levi got up and followed him. No questions asked. It's impulsive. Levi impulsively follows Jesus. I would have been like, uh, what's the five-year plan? Uh, are there benefits included? Uh, what out-of-pocket expenses should I be expecting? But no, verse 14 says, Levi got up. Greek word, aniste me. It can simply mean to get up, like getting up out of bed. Thank you so much for doing that today. Congratulations. But here in the Gospel of Mark, it's used repeatedly in chapter 8, 9, 10, 12, and 16 to describe the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. And Levi responds impulsively. He impulsively gives up or puts 
to death this lucrative business by getting up or by being resurrected in a sense to follow Jesus. You know, tax collectors aren't like fishermen. They can't simply return to the kiosk for collecting taxes if this life of discipleship doesn't suit them. It's too cutthroat. The demand's too high. There's no turning back once you've left. But Levi gets up to follow Jesus. And in doing so, we see the death of his old self and his rising new to follow Jesus. It's like the ventilator is no longer hissing. The heart rate monitor refuses to rise and fall. The old self has flatlined. No measurable pulse. Call it, doctor. Time of death to the old self, 11.47 a.m. Levi impulsively follows Jesus by putting the old self to death because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then next thing we know, verse 15 says, Jesus sat down to eat at Levi's house. We don't know how he got there. Next thing we know, he's right there. He sat down to eat at at Levi's house. Many, that is not a few, not some, but many tax collectors, and sinners, that is many leeches, many blood-sucking parasites, outcasts and undesirables. The, the term sinners can refer to any individual uh, follower of Judaism who does not follow the moral code, does not follow the Mosaic law or the ways of the Pharisees. We're talking thieves, liars, prostitutes. Yeah, many of them were eating with Jesus and his disciples. We're at what a, a church picnic should look like. Indeed, many, not a few, not some, but many of them had become his followers. In the ancient world, sharing a meal is something sacred. In the ancient world, sharing a meal is something sacred. You know, it's kind of like today. We pass under the arches of pure gold as we enter into one of the finest of eating establishments. We are greeted by a red-haired, pale-skinned, cherry-lipped specimen of a nightmare. We engorge ourselves on so-called food laden with chemicals so that even after exposed to air, it will last 14 years unspoiled. But our children... The up-and-coming generations, they can't get enough of those chicken nuggets. Big deal if it's kangaroo or some genetically modified mystery meat. It makes it a cultural experience, you know? We, we transport such culinary delicacies from the counter on unwashed community-use plastic trays. We carry them to our table, and there at the table we engage one another in a lively, heartfelt, heartwarming conversation. While our kids acquire staph infection or some other contagious disease in Ronald McDonald's Playland Ball Pit, 
But who cares because they come out drenched in excrement. I mean, excitement. And five minutes, maybe ten minutes max, our dining at the finest of eating establishments is done. But I'm loving it. No! No, ain't nothing sacred about that. And it doesn't have to do with McDonald's and 14-year-old hamburgers that never spoil. But it's just the motivations. It's just the sharing of the table. That there's nothing sacred going on. But in the ancient world, sharing a meal is something sacred. Sharing the table means sharing life. Let me tell you what I mean by this. In the ancient world, mealtime was one of the most intimate engagements. First of all, hospitality was viewed as something sacred. A shout out to our hospitality team. Thank you so much for what you do here at this church. The wonderful coffee that you brew, the delectable treats that you prepare for us. I mean, without you, we literally, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, we would be unfunctionable. So thank you for what you're doing. I was at a church last Sunday, and you know what they had? They had hot dogs. No coffee. I'm like, where's the coffee at? No. We have hot dogs. like, come on, man. But our coffee tastes good because there's love poured into it. And if you're interested in being a part of this sacred ministry, this ministry that has been sacred since the very beginning from before the first century context, go sign up at the information table. It doesn't matter if you're a male or female. What you're doing is you're setting up this place to be a comfortable place, a place where people can just enjoy and feel at home, you know. Hospitality was viewed as a sacred duty. When someone invited you to share a meal in the ancient world, it was seen as an offer of peace, of trust, close community, and even forgiveness. And to accept an invitation to a meal would imply a willingness to become a close friend of the host. Now, visually, it would even look Intimate, because in the first century Palestinian context, people aren't sitting at tables with chairs. Did I say that right? They aren't sitting in chairs at tables. Instead, they're reclining on their sides with their heads closest to the low table and their nasty, dirty feet furthest away. Just think about this for a moment. The bodily position, if we were just to get rid of the chairs, hey, everyone, just like, let's just sprawl out here. Let's just lay down. Forget about the chair. That would be a little bit, you know, a little different. It would be maybe a little bit uncomfortable at first until you got to know the people and stuff. But, but what this says, the bodily position, it says something about the openness and comfort. They're lying down. They're stretching out. They look vulnerable. And that says something crazy about Levi, and it says something crazy about Jesus, too. Since in the ancient world, sharing the table means sharing life, and since Jesus is here at Levi's table, it says to me, 
Levi hasn't just invited Jesus to his table. He's invited Jesus into every aspect of his life. Levi impulsively follows Jesus by putting the old self to death and by inviting Jesus into every aspect of his life. Levi is not trying to hide the former life, the old self, but he invites Jesus directly into it because Jesus deserves it. Instead of being like, oh no, Jesus, don't come over to my place. It's dirty. You know, we haven't vacuumed in so long. It's just not very clean. You don't really want to be here. No. Instead of doing that, instead of going to some high class joint where all the good Christians go, no. Levi invites Jesus directly in. Directly into every aspect of his life. Have you ever considered that maybe Jesus has called you to follow him in the place you're in for the place you're in? Let me say that again. That's a little confusing. Maybe Jesus has called you to follow him in the place you're in for the place you're in. You may say, well, it's a toxic environment. So is Ronald McDonald Playland Ball Pit. You may say, well, the people there are just so negative. I can't stand them. They're terrible. I hate them. They're the worst. Really? Negative. <laughs> you don't say. You may say, well, the temptation is there to, to slip back into my old ways, my old life. It's just a, a slippery slope. So don't do it alone. Surround yourself with people you can trust, people who'd rip open roofs for you because you would rip open the same roofs for them too. Sure, I get it though. You know, some ties need to be severed. Some phone numbers need to be deleted. Some haunts left unvisited. But don't be too quick to dismiss the notion that maybe Jesus has called you to follow him in the place you're in for the place you're in. Just think about that. I mean, maybe you're like, man, I hate my job, hate my family, hate my kids, hate my parents, whatever it is, you know? Honesty hour. <laughs> but have you ever come to think about it where you're like, ah, we can go one of two ways. We can say, well, you know, there's not many Christians where I work, not many believers, or there's no believers, and so God probably doesn't want me to be there, you know? Or we could understand that maybe God wants you to be there because you are the only Christian or you're one of the few, and who better to love these people in this place than the place that you are in? No amen. No, amen. 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 Truck drivers, amen. Whatever. <laughs> you know, like, what if you are in the situation you're in? Because no one else can do what you've been called to do. The relationships, the people. Man, you are important now. You me walking around like, man, I got a role to play. Yeah, that's what it means to follow Jesus. You don't just come to church and, oh, yeah, we'll sing a couple songs and maybe I'll give some money and oh, I'll pray and then I'll go out and do my own thing. No, you are called to follow Jesus. 
to walk with him and to go and change the world. Like, oh, you thought this was just for you? So you can be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You're at the wrong church. You're in the wrong religion. It's not what it's about. Maybe you are in the position you're in, the place you're in for the place you're in. So this mealtime here at Levi's, it says something crazy about Levi. He invites Jesus into every aspect of his life, but it also says something crazy about Jesus too. Here he is with the leeches and blood-sucking parasites, the outcasts and undesirables, the tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus looks right at home. Verse 16 says, When some of the legal experts from among the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said, they asked his disciples, Why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? Since in the ancient world, sharing the table means sharing life. And since Jesus is here sharing the table at Levi's, it says to me that Jesus is sharing life with leeches, blood-sucking parasites, outcasts, and undesirables. But that says something crazy about Jesus. These are hated, despised, traitors to their own people, shady, unpatriotic, morally corrupt, ritually unclean outsiders. But Jesus invites outsiders to become insiders. He welcomes sinners as friends. He cleanses the filthy and he gives strength to the bones that are weary and spent. He forgives the guilty and sustains the faithful. He gives grace to the wretched and breathes hope into the desperate and he makes the broken whole. For he who brought heaven to earth has called the despicable loved. Uh, amen. Truck drivers. Amen. 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 Why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? It's not because they deserve it, but because he loves them. Verse 17. It says, when Jesus heard it, that is the question from the legal experts, that why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? He said to them, healthy people don't need a doctor. But sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people or those who think they're righteous, but sinners. No matter if you've got HMO, PPO, Blue Shield, Blue Cross, Kaiser, in the ancient world, sickness often meant death. And it's those who are dying who need a doctor. Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people or people who are dying do. And it's this sickness like dying that touches Levi. It's not something observable from the outside, but something crumbles inside of him. And it comes with the realization that I'm dying in this life. And these sinful ways are bringing nothing but death. I deserve this. I deserve death. But Jesus, you've come and you've called me to follow you. And because I am sicker than a dog, and although I don't deserve it, 
I need you. So come into every aspect of my life. Jesus has come to call the outcast, the rejected, and those like Levi, those like me, and maybe those like you who don't deserve it. But the amazing part about Christianity is not just that Jesus saves sinners. The amazing part about Christianity is the reality that Jesus loves us as sinners and saves us as sinners. But he also sees who we can be and who we were always meant to be. Let's come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus and experience the change. You're not a leech. You're not a blood-sucking parasite. You're not an outcast or undesirable. You're a son. You're a daughter of the Most High. And when you realize that, when you realize in your heart, in your gut, in the very sinews of your being and structure, you realize that Jesus, you deserve this. You deserve this and more. So may it be written all over our faces that Jesus, you deserve this and more. May it be popping through each and every pore, carved across each crease and each furrow that Jesus, you deserve this and more. May each letter Y-O-U-D-E-S-E-R-V-E-T-H-I-S be etched into our eyes. Our lids close and open and yep, it's still there. That Jesus, you deserve this. May it be etched into the enamel of each tooth and our lips part and our smiles say it all. That Jesus, you deserve this. You deserve this more. May we be the type of people who impulsively follow Jesus by putting the old self to death and inviting Jesus into every aspect of our lives. You know, yesterday I visited a, a gentleman in the hospital, an old man who He had some sort of condition going on, and it didn't look very good. So I come expecting to see someone who's, you know, pale and just desiccated like a dying tree. I get into the room, and there's one of those weird uh, moments where he's getting up to go to the bathroom, and I'm like, oh, should I wait? Should I stay? Like, what's going on? I don't want that robe to come open. So I'm like, I'll just step outside for a minute. I'm giving you the play-by-play, -play. honesty, right? I walk back in later, and the nurse says, oh, yeah, he's done. And I'm like, why are you even here? Because you look like you're ready to go run a marathon. You don't look like you're sick. You don't look like you should be in the hospital. There's this overwhelming sense of peace that has just fallen over you. And he's, he's like draped in this robe or this blanket. He looks like a prophet. He looks like an ancient king. He looks like Jesus, but bald, you know, and white. 
sits there and we're having this great conversation. It's great. Con- he's asking all these biblical questions. I'm like, I don't know. Like, what do you think? But we're having these conversations and there's just this overwhelming sense of peace. And then he asks me, he's like, you know, some people, they like fall into the church. You know, they were living this crazy life like Levi was, but then all of a sudden they have this boom, this moment, and they experience Jesus and their life is forever changed. And they invite Jesus into every aspect of their life. They immediately impulsively turn to him and it's just amazing. He's like, I don't have that. I'm an old man. I grew up in it. And I've known it all my life. And I've tried to be faithful all my life. And I'm like, wow, you are amazing. And the peace that you're experiencing right now and the comfort that you have cannot be bought or sold. It's nothing this world can offer. The peace that you have is from a real, tangible, lifelong, faithful relationship with Jesus. Maybe it wasn't an impulsive decision at one point in your life to follow Jesus, but you've known it from the beginning. Well, maybe you here today are going to know it today, and you're just going to move and walk with him. You're going to put the old life behind. And it's a daily thing. It's not just like, oh, yeah, I put it to death, and now I don't deal with it. Sometimes that happens but it's inviting Jesus into every aspect of your life. You will be filled with peace. I'm telling you, the road is is not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable at times. It's not going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. There's going to be struggles along the way, every step of the way. But you're going to be with Jesus. And there's nothing better than that. There's no strength greater than that. There's no power greater than that. There's no comfort deeper than that. There's no consolation that will lift you out of the pit. It is better than that. And I want to invite you into that relationship today. If you don't have that today, if you're like, man, my life sucks, and I'm going through it, and I realize that everything is just getting me closer to death and dying. My relationships are dying. My friends are dying. My job is dying. My family is dying. I'm tired of this. Maybe it's time to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. Maybe it's time to come to Jesus. We've got prayer teams who are going to be up here during the, the song. And, and the, we've got a, a new believers table out there. But I want to invite you into this place. This is the most powerful decision you could make. There's one last thing I'll say before we pray. I got another phone call this week. Um, This woman whose brother had a heart attack. He's this young guy, 60 years old. I guess that's young. And uh, he had sepsis. He had all these issues wrong with him. But she said that she talked to him on the phone and, and all that. And then I get an update the next day where she's in tears. And she says, my brother has died. He died. I'm so sorry, you know, and, and then she says, but my last conversation with him was the, the prayer, you know, the, pray, the prayer you pray when you want to accept Jesus, and I told her that, that you did the most powerful thing that you could have ever done. You have given him the greatest gift that you could ever give. This is the moment where, where this is what all that matters
And losing her brother doesn't feel great, but she hasn't lost her brother. He's gained eternity with God the Father and with us when we get there. If you want that today, I want to just invite you, you know, into that. As we pray, I want you to open up your heart, if that's you, and experience that today. Just pray, Jesus, would you come into my life? Because I want you more than anything. And this life that I have, that I've been following, is a road that is just leading to destruction. But I believe, I've heard that the life you give is actually a life worth living with meaning and purpose. So come into my life. Come into my life, Jesus, because you died on the cross for my sin. And you rose from the grave. You defeated death. I want to impulsively follow you all the days of my life. I want to put that old self behind. And I want to invite you into every aspect of my being, every structure and every sinew every decision and every moment, Lord, that is what we desire, that our lives would be unmistakably characterized by you and your power and your grace and forgiveness and your goodness that spans the heavens. So, Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.